Welcome to today's podcast. I'm Scott Knuckles with The Untold Story. Thank you for joining me. I hope today's message will drive you to a greater faith, a more lasting hope, and a deeper love for others and yourself. I'm reminded of the quote by Thomas Edison. He said, Many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. Let's get started with today's podcast. Well, hello, everyone. I hope you had an amazing holiday. It has been a crazy time at the Knuckles household. Most of us came down with COVID. I got tested positive on Friday a few days ago, and it definitely knocked me <laughs> knocked me into bed for several days. And uh, this virus is the real deal. I'll tell you, it it creates a fatigue and an achiness unlike I've ever felt before and, and a fogginess in the brain. I'll, I'll tell you, it's been crazy, but thank the Lord. He, he helps us. He gets us through. And I did not think for a moment I was going to be able to get this podcast uh, completed just given how I felt, but, but thank the Lord. Hopefully, you enjoy it and it ministers to you as much as it has ministered to me. So uh, let's dive right in. I heard this story about a couple sitting together for dinner one evening. The husband remarks to his wife about how patient she is in handling anger outburst. He says, how do you do it? You always seem to remain so calm. She looks at him and says, well, I just go and clean the toilet after you do that. He says, huh? Why do you do that? She says, well, it helps. He says, well, how so? Because I use your toothbrush to do it. <laughs> the title of today's podcast is Why So Angry? Today, one in five tweets includes an emoji. My wife uses them like crazy. Five billion emojis sent each day. Have you ever used the anger emoji to express your feelings about something? If you have, you aren't alone. I know I've used an angry face emoji with a frowning mouth, angry eyes, and furrowed brows many times. Or maybe you've used the pouting face emoji or the one with steaming coming from the nostrils. <laughs> Hopefully you haven't been compelled to use the middle finger emoji. I don't even remember seeing it, but it's definitely out there. The use of negative emojis averages about 22.5% during the day and in the evening grows to 27%. It turns out the more tired we are, the angrier we get. Did you know that that's more than a billion angry emojis sent every day? There are seven universal emotions. Happiness, sadness, contempt fear, disgust, surprise, and finally, anger. Yes, anger. Of all the emotions we can express, why is anger used so much? As I reflect on it, it was the dominant emotion I witnessed when I was growing up, and it made it an easy go-to for me, because after all, I witnessed it on many, many occasions. Did you know that some countries are angrier than others? According to a study by Gallup, Armenia is the angriest country with nearly one half of the population feeling angry. 
This is followed closely by Iraq, Iran, and the Palestinian territories. Now, you're probably asking, well, what about the U.S.? Well, in the U.S., Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, ranks as the angriest city in America. And I live near Boston, which came in third, if you can believe it. Maybe you could Google to find out where your country is. We have so many folks listening from around the world these days. Would it surprise you to know that Christian counselors report that 50% of people who come in for counseling have problems dealing with anger? We used to think it was about money, but it's about us not being able to control our anger. Anger keeps us from getting to the root of the problem we're actually trying to work through. Sadly, anger was meant to be a warning flag about a boundary being crossed or an injustice being perpetrated, but anger has become commonplace today. Why is it that anger can rise up in a moment and seemingly take charge of us? According to Juna Mustadi, mindfulness coach and an expert in mindful anger, anger can be handled in two different ways. She says, anger is like a child. You don't want to let it drive the car, and you certainly don't want to stuff it in the trunk either. You don't want to let it drive the car, and you certainly don't want to stuff it in the trunk either. She says most of us channel our anger into one of two main strategies. We get hijacked by our anger and end up erupting like when we stub our toe or suddenly start cursing at the coffee table. When we let anger drive the car, we can become aggressive with name-calling, blaming, or even become violent. She affectionately calls this group the eruptors. The second group are the stuffers. Stuffers deny anger by stuffing it away. When we stuff anger in the trunk, we collapse our boundaries, stifle our true voice, and shove anger deep into our bodies. Research has shown that suppressing anger creates a whole host of physiological issues that can be just as detrimental as erupting with anger. My father was an anger eruptor. We saw that on display quite a bit growing up. And my mother, oftentimes with my father, was an anger stuffer. Let me ask you, which one do you see yourself as, the eruptor or the stuffer? Did you know that when you start feeling a threat, your brain energy shifts away from your prefrontal cortex, which is where we solve problems? According to HealthNet, Emotions more or less begin inside two almond-shaped structures in our brains, which are called the amygdala. The amygdala is the part of the brain responsible for identifying threats to our well-being and for sending out an alarm when threats are identified that results in us taking steps to protect ourselves. The amygdala is so efficient at warning us about threats that it gets us reacting before the cortex the part of the brain responsible for thought and judgment is able to check on the reasonableness of our reaction. In other words, our brains are wired in such a way as to influence us to act before we can properly consider the consequences of our actions. This is not an excuse for behaving badly. 
people can and do control their aggressive impulses. Instead, it means that learning to manage anger properly is a skill that has to be learned, instead of something we're born knowing how to do instinctually. As we become angry, our body muscles tense up. Inside our brains, neurotransmitter chemicals are released, causing us to experience a burst of energy lasting up to several minutes. This burst of energy is behind the common angry desire to take immediate protective action. At the same time, our heart rate accelerates, blood pressure rises, and our rate of breathing increases. Our faces may flush as increased blood flow enters our limbs and extremities in preparation for physical action. Our attention narrows and becomes locked onto the target of our anger. Soon we can pay attention to nothing else. In quick succession, additional brain neurotransmitters and hormones are released, which trigger a lasting state of arousal. We are now ready to fight. Although it is possible for our emotions to rage out of control, the prefrontal cortex of our brain, which is located just behind our forehead, can keep our emotions in proportion. If the amygdala handles emotion, the prefrontal cortex handles judgment. It serves in an executive role to keep things under control. Thank God for that, right? Getting control over anger means learning ways to help our prefrontal cortex get the upper hand over our amygdala so that we have control over how we react to anger feelings. Among the many ways to make this happen are relaxation techniques, which reduce our arousal and decrease our amygdala activity, and the use of cognitive control techniques which help us practice using our judgment to override our emotional reactions. The adrenaline-caused arousal that occurs during anger lasts a long time, many hours and sometimes days, and it lowers our anger threshold, making it easier for us to get angry again later on. Though we do calm down, it takes a very long time for us to return to our resting state. During this slow cool-down period, we are more likely to get very angry in response to minor irritations that normally would not bother us. The same lingering arousal that keeps us primed for more anger also can interfere with our ability to clearly remember details of our angry outburst. Does this sound familiar to you? It's a lot to unpack. Think about what we just learned. If we aren't careful, our emotions get in the way long before we can even problem solve or judge the situation. That's why we all get heated so quickly. And if we're not careful, it just overrides our ability to problem solve the issue. If we lose control, we just learned it is far easier to lose it again, even more quickly. And lastly, if we're not careful, we can hold on to anger for a long time. It really is critical in how it impacts us. 
How many of you are like me and there are times you're in a heated argument before you even know what's going on and you're scratching your head and you're like, I'm, you know, how did this happen? How, how did this escalate so quickly? But there's something else that's important for us to think about too. There are major health implications of being angry. The problem is chronically angry people spend too much time in this hyped up state. Over time, that puts too much wear and tear on the body, making us more likely to get heart disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol, and other health problems. The rapid anger response also amps up our brain. On one hand, it helps us quickly know a potential threat. On the other, it can push us to make rash decisions in the heat of the moment. It's no surprise anger is linked to accidents and risky activities like smoking, gambling, drinking, and overeating. Anger is also known to play a role in depression. According to Healthline, there are a number of signs that our anger is not normal. I don't know about you, but I... I've often thought about this. How do I know if I have an anger problem? What are the signs and what are triggers that can help me understand if I'm out of balance? There are a number of signs, anger that affects our relationships and social life, feelings that we have to hide or hold on to, our anger, constant negative thinking and focusing on negative experiences. Constantly feeling impatient, irritated, and hostile. Arguing with others often and getting angrier in the process. Being physically violent when we are angry. Maybe it's throwing things or breaking things. Threatening violence to people or their property. An inability to control anger. Feeling compelled to do or doing violent or impulsive things because we feel angry, such as driving recklessly or, or destroying things? Well, that's the first step. It's, can we answer yes to any of these? And if we can, then we have to start thinking about the role anger plays in our lives. But as I was working through this study, I said to myself, isn't there something even more concrete that could help us understand whether or not we're out of bounds? And I found something on WebMD that I thought was really amazing. And it's a simple rule of thumb. Now think about this. A simple rule of thumb on how we can truly know if we have an anger problem. Here's what it says. If you get angry once or twice a week, that is normal. If you get angry once a day or more, you probably have an anger problem. If you let anger linger, it's probably another sign of anger issues. I think we all probably know someone that is still angry with a person long after they have died. I know folks that hold on to anger for such a long period of time. But the truth is no one but ourselves can force us to be angry. We have to control that. Did you know that according to psychology today, anger and rage are closely associated? The article says nobody ever gets into trouble for feeling angry. 
but people sometimes get into trouble for what they do when they feel angry. Anger or rage is associated with a wide variety of violent acts, including homicide, aggravated assault, rape, domestic violence, child abuse, bullying, torture, and even terrorism. Anger, particularly when it escalates into rage, is an active emotion fueled by adrenaline. We all know this when you think about it. Anger demands action, and violence provides a cathartic release or response to the adrenaline-fueled demands of anger. Think of anger as an intoxicant like alcohol that alters the mental state of a person and drives him to commit a terrible act that he would not do under normal circumstances. It's incredible. So I got to thinking about the Bible and I was wondering, you know, what what stories in the Bible best illustrate anger? And there are a lot, right? But I thought I'd go back to the oldest known story of anger. And I'm wondering if you know which one it is. It occurred from Adam and Eve's direct offspring. And most of you know the story behind that incident. Abel brought his offering to the Lord and God received it with favor. Then Cain brought his offering, but God did not look upon it with favor. It is possible that Abel brought to the Lord the first fruits and his best, whereas Cain did not. But one thing is evident from this story. The condition of Abel's heart was right, but not so with Cain. Cain's reaction to all this was to become very angry. In his conversation with the Lord, God gave him an opportunity to resolve the problem in his own heart and get things right. But Cain had an underlying problem. Instead of taking personal responsibility, what did he do? He blamed Abel. Instead of addressing the issues within his own heart, he saw the problem as his brother. In his burning anger, he killed his own brother. A question we can ask ourselves in light of Cain's situation. Do I blame others for my personal struggles? Am I sidetracking my own accountability and pointing the finger at others? It could be our spouse, children, employer, family, and friends. The truth is that if we don't take accountability, the problem will never be solved or we will solve it incorrectly. Let's read a little bit of that scripture. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Think about that advice. Cain was given a warning but he was so angry he would not be talked out of his sin, even by God himself. Eve, if you think about Eve, Eve had to be talked into sin by Satan. But Cain, the Bible says in 1 John 3.12, belonged to the evil one. It is as if he could not wait to destroy his brother. 
to have vengeance on his brother. God's advice was that if Cain would please God by doing what is right, all would be well. But if not, sin would be crouching at his door, ready to overcome him. Sin desires to have Cain, and anger was the tool that was used. Cain could have had mastery over it, but he chose violence. And that's where the perpetual struggle happens between good and evil. Anyone filled with envy and strife is prey for the evil one. It opens up the door for the evil one to come in and work. And think about this, that lastly, after murdering his brother, Cain repudiated responsibility for it and claimed that God's punishment was too severe. Unchecked anger can have deadly consequences. Once the proverbial genie is out of the bottle, it cannot, nor will it be put back in again. There's another story that struck me too, and it's one that we all face on a continual basis. And I believe that the Bible is ripe with this experience to explain to us how we can take things that are happening in our lives that are frustrating and not realize that they're for a greater purpose. And this story is in Numbers 22, and it's about Balaam and the donkey. Do you remember that story? The backstory is that Balaam was given specific instructions by God on how to handle the situation. God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse my people, for they are blessed. Remember, Balak wanted Balaam to curse the people of Israel, God's chosen people. And God said, You are not to do that. You are not to go with them. And Balaam went anyway. And God's anger was aroused because of his disobedience. Let's pick it up in verse 22. The angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. So here we have Balaam on a donkey traveling. And now the angel is in the way to block them to say, no, I said, don't go. So the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. And he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam, what did he do? He struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards, so that they could not get through. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against it. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused again and he struck the donkey with a staff. (laughs) Now, this is where it gets absolutely Disney-like, because the donkey opens its mouth. It says that the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you, that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, 
because you have abused me. I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, listen to this, the donkey is reasoning with Balaam. Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, no. What's interesting is that the obstacle Balaam was encountering with his donkey was actually a merciful blessing from God. It was a hindrance designed by God for his guidance and protection. Instead of receiving God's message to him in the event, Balaam got angry and started abusing the donkey. Balaam was on a mission just like all of us, and he saw the donkey as an obstacle keeping him from his destination. Instead of taking a step back, given that the donkey had never done that before, his solution was to beat, and he would have ultimately killed the donkey. Remember what we shared, the amygdala is like the doorway, and it's filled with emotion, and that's where anger is. And if you let that overtake, if we do, then you can't get to the neocortex where we think we feel and we trust. It's natural for us to pursue our goals and objectives. The objective may be something as simple as us trying to get our family together at the kitchen table for a meal. It may be something broader like trying to succeed in business, in a marriage, and something else. You're probably like me, and it seems like every time I undertake a major project, all sorts of problems arise. And it can be frustrating beyond belief, just like it was for Balaam. But sometimes the easiest things can be the hardest to solve. And if we're not careful, we let anger rush in, rule the moment, steal our joy, and then we make very bad decisions. And that's what happened to Balaam. What was meant to protect him, because he was going down a road he shouldn't have, he didn't even see it. We've talked a lot about the causes and implications of anger. The good news is that the Bible has so much to say about it. And the advice is practical and completely relevant today. And in fact, if you listen to some of these verses I'm about to share, it's very clear that This advice is better than any advice we would get from any psychologist or psychiatrist, and many of them would give you this same advice. Think about this in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get this. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Isn't that good? Don't let the sun go down on our anger. Don't let it happen. Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't let unwholesome talk come out of our mouths because it just gets us into trouble. And we must abolish all bitterness, rage, and anger. 
because it doesn't bring about the righteousness of God. James 1, 19 and 20 is really great. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to get angry. We learned early that in order to get to the neocortex where we think and we process, we have to slow ourselves down. We have to slow our racing minds down. We've always heard that we should count to 10. The truth is that it works. Why? So we can calm ourselves and put ourselves in a position to let the neocortex help us think and process. It also gives us the ability to be led by the Holy Spirit, which is a power that's way better than anything we can produce, right? Proverbs 29.11 says, Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. We are to be agents that bring calm versus exacerbating the situation. I know this is hard stuff. I think about it and I'm like, God help me. This is incredibly, incredibly hard. Uh, It's like trying to pull yourself back when you're heated up and you're ready to go and you're ready to debate. And it's hard to pull back. But these scriptures are powerful because they will equip us to be overcomers. We're also called to overlook offenses. Proverbs 19.11, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. And what about a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger? Scriptures are also powerful in indicting us for how we handle anger. What we just read is encouragement, but there's also an indictment. Ecclesiastes 7 9 says, Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Proverbs 15 18, A hot tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. And Proverbs 22 24, Do not make friends with a hot tempered person, do not associate with one easily angered. And finally, in Colossians 3 8, But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Jesus is the final authority. I thought to myself, what a great verse to share in Matthew 5.22. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Why did he say that? This is such an amazing verse to unpack. Anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. It means we have got to get rid of anger. It has its place, but then we got to let it go because we cannot hold anger against a brother or sister, or we will be judged. God has forgiven us so much. And when he sees that we're not willing to forgive those around us, 
to relinquish that anger, it's a problem. And I think this is an amazing piece of scripture here because it says, we don't call people a fool. We don't even want to call anyone a fool. Why? It creates anger. It creates a problem. It's putting others down. And so therefore, he's saying, don't do it. It's not edifying. It's unwholesome talk. According to an article in The Stoic, anger makes us dumber. And based on what we've learned, it makes us a poor decision maker. Listen to this. It's going to blow you away. Angry people were not only more susceptible to misinformation, they were more likely to use that misinformation to guide their decision-making and actions. Information and confidence traditionally correlated followed an opposite trajectory in angry people. As angry people got more false information, they became more confident. Isn't that something? Why? Because it's not where we think and we process. Angry people unknowingly confuse their heightened state of emotion for heightened cognitive abilities or capabilities. They think their mind is alert, aware, firing on all cylinders. People, after a few cocktails, do too. But the article implies that the angry inhibited are more at risk than the alcohol inhibited. Alcohol impairs memory, but anger gives you false memories. When we become angry, we actually create false narratives, false memories. Anger is a normal and even healthy emotion, but it's important to deal with it positively. Anger can cause lasting scars in the people we love the most. Uncontrolled anger can take a toll on both our health and our relationships. There's so much going on in the world right now, isn't there? A lot going on in all of our lives. We could focus on that. Or we could vent on the person who took too long at the stoplight. We could focus on the one who cut us off in traffic. The one who said the wrong thing but we didn't want to overlook that offense. You could get frustrated with your kids for not listening. Or we could take a deep breath and go for a walk. We could write mean or angry things on the internet, or we could spend some time thinking about what our triggers are. Our lives are filled with choices. We can let anger burn in us and motivate us to bring others down, to set others straight, to make ourselves right. But in the end, it leads where? It leads to more anger, more disappointment, more frustration. Is anger wrong? Anger is not an evil state of being. Anger is a normal emotion that we all experience. But when it gets out of control and turns destructive, it can lead to all manner of problems. Problems at home, at work, in school, in relationships, in the overall quality of our lives. We have to take a stand. If we're not careful, anger can make us feel like a slave to our emotions. That is no way to live our lives. Let's end where we begin. There are seven universal emotions. 
happiness, sadness, contempt, fear, disgust, surprise, and anger. Yes, anger. We have to put anger in its rightful place. It shouldn't dominate all other emotions. It shouldn't be the most common emoji at the end of the day because we're frustrated. Anger has got to be put in its rightful place and balanced against all other emotions. As we close, the Bible gives some truly great advice for us. In our anger, do not sin. Slow down. Listen carefully. Don't go to bed angry. Bring calm to situations. Overlook offenses. Give a gentle answer where you can. And avoid those who are always angry or enraged, lest we learn their ways. The Bible says in Psalm 37, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your case like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil, for evil men will be cut off. But those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. We learned a great lesson from Cain. Cain didn't examine his own heart. He was too busy judging his brother. He had great advice given to him, and he threw it away and let his anger run the show. And it cost his brother his life, and it cost him complete separation. And then we saw the story of Balaam where God was generously trying to help him, protect him. And yet he couldn't see it because he let anger drive him. There's a lofty list we just went through. And when I think about it, it's so difficult. It looks easy, but all of you know it is so hard. But let's join together in trying to do a few things. Slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to get angry. That we're able to slow down, not go to bed angry, bring calm to situations, and do our dead level best to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. Thank you for listening, and God bless you. I hope you've enjoyed listening to today's podcast. Would you take a moment and provide a rating, subscribe, and consider sharing this message of encouragement with others? You can also visit us on scottknuckles.com to get more information. Until next time, blessings.